Hello, and welcome to G Talk and All That Jazz. This podcast is really the testimony of a friendship that spans over four decades. A friendship between two Black professionals that began in Harlem, New York in the mid-1970s. As young men, both learning from each other on how to navigate the sometimes formidable and unapologetic streets of Harlem, New York, both here and now, still standing with a wealth of transferable knowledge. As you join G and Jazz on their journey of reflection, listen. Listen closely for the true messages about friendship, morality, and brotherly love, because their trials and tribulations come at a cost. G and Jazz will share their thoughts and opinions on a variety of topics, from love and relationships, to family and politics, and of course, friendship again. Again, Welcome to G talking all that jazz. Enjoy the journey and buckle up. So Jazzy Jazzy Mac, man, what's going on, Papa Doc? Listen, man, we got one season under our belt, my friend. We got uh, one season under our belt. How you like that? Yeah, man. I was can't wait to, you know, get back on this thing, man. I'm happy about it. You know, I'm glad about the episode that we're gonna do tonight. I'm okay. I'm just looking forward to it, bro. How you doing, man? I'm doing okay, man. You know, we're getting through this pandemic, man. You know, this week marks over 200 million. I mean, 200. Um, yeah, yeah, over two, two yeah, 200 million um, uh, vaccinated Americans, man. So the, you know, we we getting a grip on this pandemic, man. Things are starting to get a little normal. I'm down here in Georgia and, you know, things are opening up and it's, it's starting to feel a little, some semblance of some normalcy, man. So it's starting to really? feel feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, same here, man. New York is is popping. We was freezing the last couple of days. I don't know what happened, but man, when I tell you I had my coat on yesterday with a hat on, yes, the weather, the hawk was out here in Harlem, New York hard body, man. No doubt. But, you know, before we move on to that, man, I also want to, you know, give my condolences to the loss of our big brother, Larry McAllister, man. No um, doubt. Um, that was definitely a blow. You know, um, how you doing through that, bro? Um, it's tough, man. You know, good days, bad days. Um, you, sometimes you don't know how, you know, death is going to impact you. They say everybody mourns differently. I think for me, it, it, it happens mostly at night. It's hard for me to sleep sometimes. Yeah. You know, I think about my brother, you know, good, bad, or indifference. Indifferent, you know, my brother always protected me, man. Yeah. You know, none of us walk around here in no perfect space. We have challenges. We face demons in our lives. And my brother had his challenges and his demons. But fundamentally, he was just a good person to me. Always protected me. And, you know, I feel it, man. I really do. I knew you would, man. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's funny that, you know, I, I can remember when we was kids and we'd be walking through your house at 1D and 1430, you get punched in the chest and I get punched in the chest too. You know, I'd be like, yo, man, I'm not really in the family, man. I, I get a punch in the chest too. But I would get that punch in the chest. If, you, too, man, you know? if you're in the house and you eat mama's food, brother, you part That's of the family. Right. You get, you part of the family. So that was my, my, my you know, my, my, my part. So yeah, uh, may he rest in peace. No doubt. So we got a great topic coming up, man. Uh, great show coming up. Um, but before we we get to our special guest, uh, let's do your disclaimer. Dong 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 dong. 
this is a public service announcement. All the events you're about to hear are all true. If you happen to hear your name in some of these stories, we feel sorry for you. But we got, we are Beyonce sorry. We sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I just want to state it. I, I never sanctioned this part of the show with the disclaimer. <laughs> I never sanctioned that part. You I'm just joking. Have, you, shouldn't have hung, you shouldn't have hung with us. You shouldn't have hung with us. You shouldn't have. So I am very happy to get this show kicked off. We have a very special guest uh, with us this evening. Um, her name is Dr. Sharice Janae Nelson. Dr. Nelson is a speaker, an author, a researcher, a consultant, and an assistant professor at Southern University and AM College. At Southern, she leads the Jewel Lamar Prestige Survey Polling and Research Center, JPLC, where her research interests of Black Americans, their economic interests, political behaviors, and overall attitudes are studied. Dr. Nelson is the founder of Dr. Janae Executes, a strategic consulting firm designed to help its clients answer the question on how to implement and operate in an evolving diverse world using research to promote action. She is the executive director of the Black Leadership Roundtable, a nonprofit organization concerned with getting black leaders around the table again to talk with one another. Dr. Nelson is also an executive board member of the Center of Racial Justice at Dillard University. She has earned her doctorate of philosophy and political science from the Howard University, a master in public administration focusing in public management at the University of the District of Columbia, and a graduate magna cum laude with a dual degree in history and English from Stillman College in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends, let me introduce you to Dr. Sharice Nelson. Dr. And Nelson, welcome to our show, G Talking All That Jazz. And How the crowd doing? goes wild. You're super Linwood. You already know H-U in the you know. <laughs> in the building. I got to shout out Bowie State University, too. Or my frat brothers, my frat brothers will disown me. Yeah, don't get disowned. We don't need I that. Don't, I know. Shout don't out to the, to the to the to the chapter. If, if, if Linwood, if we don't need community right about now, we, I mean, we don't ever need it. So don't get disowned at this moment in history. You Not need, right now. Not right exactly. now. Exactly. So, so we got a good topic today, and we have the right person um, to talk about the state of Black America, in a sense, and, and more importantly, what is going on in, 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 in America when it comes to social justice and how this is in, impacting um, particular African-American men. Um, I am one of those dads who had to have that conversation with their son, what to do when you are um, and have an encounter with the police. And I've been having these types of conversations with him since he was five years old and he's 24 now. And it is part, it has become part of our language in our community to have these talk with, talks with our young black men. So now we look at what's happening 
um, especially after the George Floyd case, the verdict. Um, we look at Dante Wright and um, Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. We look at the young lady, um, um, Micaiah Bryant in Columbus, Georgia. We look at Andrew Brown in North Carolina. It just seems like there's no stop to what's happening with, with this, um, uh, these encounters with excessive force with, um, with black men and, 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 and black and brown people. So I don't even know where to start this conversation, Dr. Nelson, um, other than to say, what, what is your take on, on what is going on currently? So let's back it up to, let's not even deal with what's going on. Let's back all the way up because you already okay. know I'm going to give you the history of this thing. Okay. Right? So let, let's back up to understand, right? And I deal with this a lot in my book. And and as we've talked, you know, in the pre-show, Linwood, this was a, a, one of the biggest reasons I, my book got so much pushback. Because what we have to understand is that the foundation of being Black in America is based upon pigmentocracy. Now, what is pigmentocracy? Pigmentocracy is the idea that white is right and Black is wrong, right? So it's a scale that is then built where the closer you are to whiteness, the better you are. And if you are Black, you are the sticky shit at the bottom of the barrel. That's how, that's how pigmentocracy works. What we have done inside of our communities is use colorism to allow folks inside of our community to then benefit off of this pigmentocracy scale. So the reason that I'm saying that's where it starts and, it, and, and why it starts there, it starts there because it is in that vein that we created a democracy. We created a democracy in the vein of if you are the sticky shit at the bottom of the barrel, then you are unworthy. And it was justified because black folks, quote unquote, did not know Christ. So they weren't Christians. So now I'm justified in making you the sticky shit at the bottom of the barrel and then making you unworthy of them participating in this democracy. Why should we start there? Why do we have to start there? Because every day in a black person's life, they are fighting a system that originally saw them to be unworthy. And so when we're having questions or conversations about what's happening right now, what's happening right now is because of a historical legacy of saying that black people do are not are, are not worthy. They are not human. And since they are not human, they deserve pain because they are not human. They can bear pain. And because they are not human, then pain doesn't exist for them. Right. So not only do they can they stand it, can they handle it? It doesn't it doesn't equate for them. That is why I can pull out my gun and shoot somebody in open season in a Makai situation. I can roll up to a scene and within 20 seconds shoot and shoot and kill this girl because she is seen to me in my psyche as unworthy. I'll give you an example of why we know that black folks in this country are seen to be unworthy because Angela Davis, Dr. Angela Davis, I mean, they don't get no blackity black than Angela Davis. She has said that when she closes her eyes, it is difficult for her to envision God as a black man. Wow. That talks about how deep this, this pigmentocracy scale has been built into us. And then there's been laws that have codified it, right? Let's go back to the foundation of policing. Policing comes from slave patrols. 
Policing comes from the idea the, of the Vagrancy Act of 1857 coming out of Virginia, right, which is the largest slave state in the in uh, in the Confederacy at the time. That says that now that you are free, if you go look for your family members on other plantations, I, that is now criminal activity. That is why the behaviors of Black folks are continuously criminalized. That is why we get. That is why when we, we get loitering laws that are based upon us sitting around, that's where loitering laws come from. That's when we're talking about theft and, and the idea of what's the threshold for grand larceny. It is based upon the activities of Black folks. So when we talk about what's going on, you have to understand that, first of all, that the democracy was built in such a way that Black people were not seen as worthy to participate. Then you have to understand that that worthiness was built upon a scale that has everything to do with our phenotypical color of our skin. And that then legislation, laws, societal norms were then built around the unworthiness of blacks, which is why, again, we see this level of policing. So what's going on? What is going on is that police officers have been told by a system, by a society, and by a fearful white group of people that are scared about what it means for the country to become more brown, that it is okay for me to protect you and your interest only at the, dis at the expense of the democracy. That is why we can see uh, on, no on January 6th an insurrection at the Capitol and white folks then supporting that because the idea of black people being worthy is a, is a non is, is a non-starter. It's a non-starter. Black people are not even worthy. So when we're talking about all of these incidents and we string them together and we talk about should the officer get jail time and all that, we have to then fundamentally understand that the system says that we were never worthy. And so that anytime we step into that system and we get any level of justice, any level of perceived fairness that we've already beat the system because the system was never created to see us as worthy human beings. It's That's funny that it's, fu it's funny that you it's funny that you mentioned that is because when the verdict was coming out for George Floyd, I was waiting for a a not guilty. Me too. I was expecting a not guilty. Of course you were. Of I course was, you were. I was expecting With a not guilty. overwhelming evidence. Wait a minute. You were expecting a not guilty verdict. Do you know why? Because we see we Rodney King was Rodney yes. King was recorded. Yep. I okay? saw that. Rodney mm -hmm. King was recorded. Walter Scott, who got killed in South Carolina, was recorded with an officer shooting at his back. Okay. Alton, Alton Sterling situation down here in Louisiana, where I am right now, was recorded. That's why you have the expectation. But see, Linwood, do you know what the difference is? The difference is Keith Ellison. The difference is a black man being inside of the system mm. that understood how to work the system to make it so that there was no possible way that you don't get a conviction. Why? Because Keith Ellison was the first black man that was a Muslim to then ever be inside of the United States Congress in 2007. Keith Ellison was a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. Keith Ellison was the first black man to ever represent the state of Minnesota. So when we're talking about who is inside the system, he wasn't a Daniel Cameron. 
He wasn't mm. a Daniel Cameron that was in Kentucky who had made a deal with the devil, Mitch McConnell, that mm. then took a grand jury hearing, right? A grand jury, meaning it's under cloak and dagger. We don't know what charges were brought. We don't know what evidence was produced. We don't know what that jury heard in that grand, in that, in that grand jury trial, just to then absolve the police officers in the Breonna Taylor case. So yes. why... Why, why were you waiting for that that not guilty? Because you understand that it matters who's in the system. And who is in the system then dictates what's even possible. And so you understood that Keith Ellison, for no matter how much he has experienced, no matter why he left the Congressional Black Caucus and left, the, and left Congress and said, you know what, if I become attorney general, I'm going to have more of an impact. All of us understand the system. Us, you know, Lynn and I, we were in the, we were in our, our PhD program together at Howard. We understand how the system works, but we are always nervous about the breadth and the power of that system because of this idea of pigmentocracy. So of course you were waiting for it because we've seen things be recorded before and have not gotten the same outcome. Dr. Nelson, let me ask you a question. So I, I, I hear you and I'm, I'm, I'm so like, inspired by how you speak. I love your passion. I love your energy. Is there any way the system can be changed? This conviction shows us that the system can be changed. And not only that, white folks know the system can be changed, which is why they're okay with autocracy. What do I mean by that? I'm okay with 45 becoming pseudo king if that means it's going to protect my whiteness. Mm. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with getting rid of democracy because as soon as democracy starts working for black and brown people, it's a problem mm. because it was built to support my interests. This is why only land, white land owners had the right to vote. And if we think about the three-fifths compromise, people get all bogged in that. Oh, they said you were three-fifths of a human being, da 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a piece of it. Yes, your humanity was wrapped up in that. But the bigger piece was this, uh, this uh, the bigger piece was this, G. The bigger piece is I do not want a two for one, meaning that the only reason at the beginning of this country that land owning whites in the South signed off on that constitution was the idea that you cannot give me a two for one when it comes to representation of black folks. What does that mean? Three fifths, if you take two of the two of those slaves and put them together, or basically three of the slaves and put them together, you get a you get two and a half or two and a half votes of representation. Why is that important? Because this, if I take the census every 10 years and the generation happens every 20 years, I get to basically count my slaves twice because my slave is gonna have a child before the 10 year mark. So now I get to count the slave and the slave's child. And if you go back and look through history, you will see that the census was taken in such a time after, the census was taken before slaves were actually sold. So selling season was one time, when you collected the names for the census was another time. So even once you had sold that slave from a congressional picture, you were still you getting credit for them, mm -hmm. okay? This is the game, this is how it's built, right? We talked a lot in the pre-show about how the game is built. The reason that the, the system can change is because the more we understand the game, the more we get in positions to change it and the more the backlash comes, right? That's what the, anytime we see backlash, 45, this is, and I used to, and I told, I told my class this just a couple of weeks ago. I wasn't upset that Trump won. I was upset that I, that I didn't know better. 
out of all of the history I've studied in this country, if a black man got elected president, we should have damn well knew that no white woman was coming behind him. I told people when we were having conversations very early on about will we get a black president first or a white woman? I said, history has already told you that they will give a black man the right to vote before they give a white woman a goddamn thing. So we already have evidence of what is gonna play out. So once a black man becomes president, you think that they're gonna let a white woman come behind him? Absolutely not. So 45 is the backlash. She is the white rage in response to 45. That is why he was set up to do, to, to take back everything that Obama did, which is why that white folks will line up for autocracy, meaning a, a king-like presence. They'll line up for that if it's going to protect their whiteness. This is why we have to not get disen, disenchanted with the process because it's actually working. And the way that we know that it's working is when backlash comes. That's what we know it's working. So when we, when I have conversations with students about, well, what's the point of voting and what's the point of it? Let me break it down to you. In a democracy, the people are sovereign. If you decide that you are not going to vote, you have willfully given up your sovereignty. So if you are willing to give up your sovereignty, Good, good for you. I'm not going to fight with you. But once I explain to you that the inside of a democracy, the people are sovereign, not a king, not a queen, not a person, not a anything. That is why we can win. The exact same system that you are upset about is the system that's allowing you to win. Because if it was for them, they would switch to an autocracy where there would be a, a monarchical figure and we wouldn't get a goddamn thing. So can it be changed? Absolutely. And we are changing it as we speak. That is why I truly believe in, in the spiritual realm that God has removed some of these leaders so that people like Linwood and I can step up in those spots so that we can start leading our people to understand really what the trick is. The trick is to get us fighting amongst each other about bullshit, right? That's the trick to mm -hmm. get us fighting it. You know, I'll give you a perfect example. Right now with the Makai case, what's happening? Black women are mad with black men because black men are saying, well, she had a knife and she was getting ready to gut the other little young girl, other woman or the young girl. And so the police officer did what he was supposed to do, right? There's a group of black men are speaking that. And instead of black women understanding where black men are coming from in a patriarchal system, which makes black men feel like they have to voice that, instead of black women understanding that, they're saying, F black men. <laughs> So now we've taken a situation where it's really about a system, about a black young girl being in foster care, being seen as a number, being seen as dispensable. We have removed the conversation about that. And now we are fighting in our community, black man against black woman about what's wrong with our relationship. And it has nothing to do with any of that. So that, that is why I say to you, G, the system is our way out. And leveraging it is our way out. I'll leave you with what Harriet Tubman would say. Harriet Tubman said, I would have freed a lot more of them had they known they were slaves. They were slaves, absolutely. <laughs> but, 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 let, but, but let me say this, let me say this. As, as this new emergent America is happening, this demographic darkening, right, is happening. In America, let's In be America. very clear. Because the rest of the world is brown. The rest of the world is brown in America. So we we having we having this 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 uh this darkening and we having this emerging America. It's it, it it's here, it's here. It, we're just waiting for the moment for 
everyone else to realize that this country has browned, right? Um, I think that we're going to see more backlash, more mm -hmm. white lash. We're going to see more because it is those white supremacists that are going to try to save and protect that whiteness. Well, right? but, but Linwood, we're seeing it right now, right? Right. One of the things that we discussed also pre-show was this idea about school curriculums and 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 how do we get how do we get the masses to understand that they've been told a mythology, right? They've been told a story, they've been told a lie. What, I'll say this because I said this on several shows, so I have no problem repeating it here. What we are dealing with right now is white epistemological ignorance. Mm -hmm. I repeat that again. We are dealing with white epistemological ignorance. What does epistemology mean? It means how you come to know yourself. Mm -hmm. So let me make, break it down in hood terms. If you found out that your daddy went to jail because he killed the person that was trying to kill your mama, then you have a certain affinity for your daddy for protecting the, the memory, the legacy of your mother. However, if and that's what the hood's been telling you, but you later on find out that your daddy is not in jail for killing the man that killed your mother. Your daddy's in jail for killing your mama. Now you've learned who your daddy was incorrectly. And now there's a conscious, there's a crisis, there's a conflict inside of you about should I love my daddy anymore because of the fact of what he has done. That is where white people are. That is where mm. poor white people are. Rich white people have always understood that the game was for the rich and the wealthy and to insulate their own interest. The poor white people did not understand that. They, they thought that they were really something based upon this lie about how great white people are in white civilizations, right? They've been fed this lie about their daddy being the valid hero. And now they're having to face the idea that their daddy was actually the killer. Mm. And because we are in that place in the country, there is this tension. Because rich white folks are very clear about the lie they told. It's the problem with the poor white folks that are having this struggle. And so now they are now realizing they've been told a lie. And so what do they do to protect this lie? See, my daddy used to always tell me, it's, it doesn't benefit you to be a liar. Because once you tell one lie, you got to tell multiple lies to cover up the first one. Right. And now we're in a position where we want to tell multiple lies to cover up the first one. That is why we are seeing legislation at the state level. Try to stop people from voting right there in the state that you're in in Georgia. Right. Mm -hmm. It's illegal to pass somebody a piece of water. Right. It's illegal. Y'all can go to the streams, bottle, bottle water down down at the creek and call it spring water and sell it to us. And that's OK. But if I pass it to grandmama who's trying to vote, then I'm in. I violated the law. Right. So we are talking about we are seeing the evidence of of this protecting the lie. We are getting legislation right here in Louisiana. There's a hearing next week about a bill in the House of Rep uh, in the House of Representatives in the state of Louisiana uh, about trying to strip black people, black professors, particularly from talking about racism and sexism in our classrooms. 
we as Southern are, are banding together, having meetings right now about how to push back against this legislation so that it doesn't get to the Senate and then signed into law in a part-time legislature. So when you're talking about protecting this lie, we are seeing it. We're seeing it through legislation at the state level. We are, we're getting ready to see it when we redraw these districts based upon the 2020 census data where it's gonna redraw lines and redraw districts for the next 10 years. We are seeing it in the pushback of diversity trainings. We are seeing it. We are already seeing them trying to protect this lie. So what do we do about it? How do we stop it? We vote the people out that vote for it, period. We use our sovereignty to tell them, oh, 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 wait a minute, we're not going for it. That is how we deal with this. We use the same system that we want to critique and gripe about, and we should critique, and we should gripe about it, because that's what the founders did. They took political speech and made it the most protected in the system so we could do exactly what we're doing now. And now, now we've done the talking, it's time for the action. Vote Excellent. these people out. So how Boycott these businesses that, that are going to support them, that okay. are going to write them these checks. Boycott them. Go do like they did back in the day, Linwood down in Alabama. Don't ride the bus. Get don't get, get with your bus. home. Right. Don't don't use Amazon. Get together. Be strategic about who you're going to boycott and vote these MS out of there. Uh, Daniel Cameron shouldn't serve another day. When it's time for him to be, um, he should not then get another election out of us. That is how we. That's how that's we how do we this. This is how we stay. This is how we stay engaged. This is how we stay action oriented. Right. Because our people are dying at a rate because of COVID faster than anybody else. We are getting murdered on these streets because of structural and systemic racism. So, so how do we, we don't use the system to push back? We are doomed. So how do how do we how do we teach our community these things about and social justice and, and about our children and our children? How do we teach our, 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 our community, our children. Yeah, how do we um, start that? How do we start that dialogue with them yeah. so that so that we can give them a better understanding of how this system really works? First, make them know they're worthy. That's the, that's the bottom line. Because once you understand that you are worthy, then you'll start to ask your own questions. The problem oftentimes inside of our communities is number one, we don't have explicit conversations about racism and race. We do not talk about the four pillars of racism. We don't tell them that racism is institutional, that it is interpersonal, that it is structural, and that it's internalized. We don't do different, we don't have that conversation. So that's the first thing. We have to tell them that racism is out there and then we have to tell them that they're worthy because worthiness will get them to ask their own questions. I'll give you an example. My niece texted me today and said, Titi, they keep saying this stuff is unconstitutional, unconstitutional. What does that mean? What do you mean? What does it mean unconstitutional? She's 10 years old. And she texted me. I said, let me break it down to you, Lily. Her name's Aaliyah. We call her Lily. You know, I told you, Linwood, we hood. So we hood. Lily, right? We hood. She Lily. I said, let me tell you this, Lily. Unconstitutional means we have a set of rules that are supposed to be followed. And we call them the Constitution then people come along because they don't want you to have things because you have black skin and they make up new rules that are against the original rules. That's how we start having a conversation, Linwood. Mm -hmm. We teach them that they are worthy because once they are worthy, they're going to start asking their own sets, sets of questions. And we have to be prepared with the answer for those questions and be patient with the community as, they, as, this, as this maturates. 
We have to be willing to plant a seed, to water that seed, and be okay, Linwood, if that tree never provides us shade. Right. That's but the next generation, but the next generation, we, we want to plant a seed. We want it to pop like popcorn and then get a tree with some shade in two, three years. It don't work like that. And we have to understand that oftentimes the seeds that we plant in these communities will never provide me and you shade, Linwood. And it shouldn't provide us shade because we should be we should be so busy working on the next tree or in the next community planting the seed that th that that tree that we planted two two communities ago will never provide us shade. That's our problem. Our problem is that we have to be committed to getting our young people to know that they are worthy to ask questions. They are worthy to question the system. We have to give them space and productive means to then question, question that system and push back against that system. We cannot demonize them when they want to become activists and get out in the streets. We got to be prepared with the bailout fund. We got to be prepared with the money to get them out of jail once they've done the heavy lift of, of, of raising the awareness. We have to get them to understand that policy has to be the next maturation after you're in the streets. And you have to be patient with that process. So first, we have to start with our young kids and say, you're worthy to ask any and every question. And that sometimes starts in our home. Right. We don't want to allow our kids to ask us questions. My son can ask me anything. And I tell him all the time, mama is not going to always be comfortable ask, answering your questions. But it is my job to answer your questions because if I want you to be an informed citizen later on down the line, then I got to get you in the practice of asking hard questions. Right. So we have to teach our kids that they are worthy and we teach them worthiness by entertaining their questions, no matter how foolish we think they are. Then we develop their minds enough to then take those sets of questions and ask those questions of the system and then push that system. And then we have to be patient as they maturate through that and undergird them and say, wait, 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 don't, don't take that road. I tried that one. That one didn't work too good. Let's veer here. That's how we solved it. Dr. Nelson, so I know in the pre in the pregame for this show, you we talked about this book you were writing. So can you tell our, our audience about your book and uh, when we can see it or when it was gonna when it's gonna be published? Yeah, so like they like they say, the mixtape the mixtape is gonna drop. No, um, <laughs> the, the, I love it. <laughs> the, the, the book drops in September. It, it should be out in September on Archway Publishing. So look out for it on Archway Publishing. It is called the Congressional Black Caucus, the fight, the the fight for equality um, for 50 years, the 50 year fight for equality. Uh, it does not say that the CBC is always right or the greatest thing on since sliced bread. It does a historical critique of what has been accomplished by the Congressional Black Caucus, the first racial caucus of its kind, uh, and the blueprint for other racial caucuses, right? They, um, they uh, have a stat, I mean, every other racial caucus has come based upon the Congressional Black Caucus that was founded in 1971 um, when the Democratic Party wasn't necessarily coalescing around a Black interest. Um, one of the founders, Charlie Diggs, said, Black people don't have parties, they have permanent interest. Yeah. And because they understood they had permanent interest, they formed uh, this Black caucus. And so that, that's what this book does. It looks at what the caucus has done and who they've been in a racialized government structure. And, and I think it's important to highlight this because we often look at what the Congressional Black Caucus didn't do, but we don't really look at what they stopped. 
And oftentimes the Congressional Black Caucus is serving as a buffer to ensure that the citizenship that Black people have gained, although it's not full citizenship, the citizenship that we have gained is protected because the system is designed to strip us from all of that citizenship. And the and date, did you give us a date on when it's gonna- when the, We when don't the have a date yet, but look, at, look okay. for it in September. Look for it in the month of September. Hopefully I'll be able to present it at the legislative uh, caucus weekend. Uh, right now, the manuscript is in editing form, which means it's moving along in the in the in the publishing process. Uh, and we're in April, so we we are looking at a September. I'll definitely, you know, let your audience know and 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 let Linwood and G know uh, when it comes out because I'll have a special link that I'll send out to you guys and your audience so that they Absolutely. can uh, uh, purchase this book. And it's and, and I'm not gonna lie, it's an academic book, right? It's it's trying to get us to step into the thralls of academia, but it's presented in such a way so that that uh, the 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 body of people that want to be informed can be it's not so far over your head that you can't understand how white supremacy works and how the congressional black caucus has pushed back against that white supremacy using moral attitudes using a moral platitude right by saying that you guys say you guys are the honorable is what you doing honorable Right. Excellent. And they bring that to the forefront and they push back to then get us legislation. And it is upon us as the active community. It's upon black civic organization. It's upon me, you and G. Right. It's upon us, Linwood, G and Sharice. It's on us to then hold those congressional black caucus members, those black people's feet to the fire to push things forward. You know, the, the, it reminds me often of the allegory of the cave, right? If you made your way out, right? If you made your way out of the cave, it is your now responsibility to come back in that cave and to tell people, don't go that way because that's going to lead you to a dead end. Come on out this way. And I truly believe the Congressional Black Caucus has done that. And now as they're growing in size, it what they do and how they do it is going to change, which requires our activism um, to continue to push them to, to make sure that they are continually to support a black agenda. So tell 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 our audience how folks can 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 reach you. Oh, absolutely. Um, speaking engagements or contact absolutely. and that sort of thing. Absolutely. If you want to reach out to me, Facebook is the best place to find me. Um, I, I'm on Facebook, Sharice Nelson. You can just Google me. I have an open profile. You can you can reach out to me there. You can also find me on Twitter at Dr. Janae. So Janae is spelled J-A-N-A-Y-E. So I have a Twitter handle of Dr. Dr. Janae. J-A-N-N-A-Y. And that same handle, you can find me on Instagram. Um, Instagram, I post a little more personal things about my family and everything that's going on. But if you want a real glimpse of me and want to be able to reach out to me, those are the ways. Facebook, Twitter, uh, or, or Instagram. Um, yeah, and, 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 and by all means, if you just want to be very official and you know you want to reach out to me um, on uh, via Southern, you can Google me, Sharice Nelson. Sharice is spelled she rice. So if you guys, you know, she eats rice. She rice is the way to remember how to spell <laughs> rice. I love it. Right. Sharice Nelson, you can find me. And if you Google me, uh, my email and all of my information is also available um, from Southern because I'm a professor there as well. Excellent. I think I cannot wait till we put this up on our website. Um, I cannot. I'm, 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 I'm going to really promote this. I really love your energy. I really appreciate you jumping our second season off um, on here. Um, this is excellent. Uh, what do you think, Jazz? Listen, she is a graduate of Howard 
of university. The, the, of the, of the, the Howard, Howard University. We sing I, of the. I didn't expect anything less, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> now, Sharice was always um, our experience at Howard together in the PhD program. She was always the, the what you what you see is what you get. What you see it. is what you get. She doesn't cut, cut any corners. Um, um, uh, she's bold. Um, she's um, provocative. Well, Linwood, you have yes. to be bold. If you want to set history, you got to be bold. For mm -hmm. me to walk in, a, in an established department as Howard University with the Ron Walters and the and the Haynes Waltons and all of these big name black political scientists, Ron Walters was the foundation for the Congressional Black Caucus. Right. Wow. If you if you come in in that legacy, you better be bold. Right. Yes. But so it come, yeah, history, better come with it. Right. Mm -hmm. If I want to set history and be the youngest Ph.D. to finish in the political science department in four years at 27 years old, you better be bold or go home. Amen. So, ladies Amen. and gentlemen, this is it. This is G talking all that jazz. I'm G. And I'm jazz. And this is G talking all that jazz. And we are out. Peace. <laughs>